what did you have for breakfast today? Uh, this morning, I reckon I had uh, changes every day, but today I had a wheat bix. Wheat bix milk. How many wheat bix do you do? <laughs> <laughs> well, I had those uh, the little wheat bix bites. Uh, yeah, okay. so I don't know. It was like a bowl of those. <laughs> Let's, uh, we'll go with eight. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Uncommon, the podcast that helps you build your knowledge, skills, and mindset through interviews with unique individuals. My name is Jordan Michaelides, and I'm your host. To learn more about our array of guests, just head to neural.com slash podcast. In this episode, I have for you Christopher Lawson. Chris is the co-host of the Moonshot Podcast, one of Australia's most popular technology podcasts, and founder of Lawson Media. As a journalist, Chris holds an incredible wealth of experience across old media brands such as the ABC, SBS, News Corp, and Channel 10. But I think entering new media is where Chris has really hit his straps. By creating Lawson Media, a podcast production company, and the Moonshot Podcast, Chris has showcased his unique storytelling skills. Moonshot was featured by Apple Podcasts and has reached number one in the Australian Apple Podcast Technology Charts. It was awarded an innovation grant from Australia's Walkley Foundation for Journalism. They were a finalist in the Melbourne Press Club Quill Awards and recently won Best Independent Media at the ACS IT Journalism Awards as well. Chris holds a unique insight between the divide of old and new media one that fascinates many of us as social media becomes paramount to marketing and PR success. This was, for me, almost a selfish episode, having joined Christopher as a guest to discuss cryptocurrency investing on behalf of Coinjar on Moonshot. The opportunity to learn about storytelling and media production was just too good to pass up, and I had to get him on. So I think this is a must-listen episode for any aspiring podcaster out there. We discuss a lot, including his journey to working in the media, what draws him to stories. We then got into Elon Musk and time management. We spoke about Lawson Media, how you grow a business like that, different approaches in podcasting. We then got into the art and craft of journalism, particularly in this post-truth era of news. And then we got into how he creates Moonshot, uh, why he chose a podcast as opposed to video, uh, where his experience lies, and then got into some basics and resources as well. So I think this would be really good for anyone who enjoys journalism, media, and tech, uh, particularly for those wanting to get into or thinking about starting a podcast. If you enjoyed this specific episode, I do suggest you check out my chats with Claire Connolly, which was episode 45. We got into journalism and politics. And my other episode with Rohit, which is episode 47, where we spoke about creating a podcast and marketing. Uh, If you want the notes to those episodes, just head to neural.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe on your podcast app or just share it with one of your friends who may enjoy the episode. This will go a long way in building our audience and we'll be most gracious for it. Uh, But... 
As always, thanks so much for our regulars coming back. For our newbies, I hope you enjoyed this one and you can get into the other episodes. But to everyone, I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Christopher Lawson. And we are live. Thank you very much for joining me. No worries. No worries. Great to be here. (laughs) Um, Chris, I think the first uh, question I want to ask from you is, have you found a way with Gumtree yet as to deal with people pulling out at the last minute? Oh, <laughs> you've been reading my Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, no, I, I, yeah, that uh, that actually was super frustrating. I've been trying to sell a drone, which is like they're expensive things, and to have someone you know really want to buy, and they were like, "I'm going to buy, I'm going to buy, I'm I'm coming later this afternoon." They uh. organise the time, and then all of a sudden they they don't even say they're not coming. They just just disappear. They, they just disappear. They stop responding. I get a message saying they're still interested, but they dropped their phone and broke it, uh, and that's it. And then all of a sudden, they shut off communication. So no, that's not solved. And <laughs> it reminds me, like we were, because we've been using Facebook Marketplace a lot. We're obviously doing the studio upgrade, as I mentioned to you before this. Um, so we've been finding furniture through that, testing whether we buy it like directly through a manufacturer or whatever. <laughs> And we've also been selling a lot of stuff. And, like, I found Facebook Marketplace really interesting. Mm. But it still doesn't have that element of, like, you know, when you're on Uber and you've sort of got the rating system, which makes you both compliant in being genuine people. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, it's so... That, that to me, is incredibly frustrating. Yeah, it's, su- it's super frustrating. And I think that's one of the big issues with, with Gumtree and also with Facebook Marketplace yeah. is that there is no rating rating for, like, how... It, how reliable yeah, they are. How, re- how reliable is someone? If you send them, you know, $2,000, are they actually going to send send you what you ordered? Are they going to send you your drone? You know, someone wanted me to send a drone to the ACT and I just said, no, like, I, this is a really expensive yeah. item and I, like, I want you to pick it up in person. <laughs> I want to give it to someone. I don't, I don't want to send it via post and, and, and have that risk. And then I don't know that I personally would trust someone with a large amount of money online. I don't think I would send someone like $2,000 to buy something unless it was to a business. Mm. But just a, a random person on Facebook Marketplace, I don't, I don't know that I would do that. Mm. I might do that to someone that's in like a Facebook group because there's plenty of, you know, buy-sell groups and there's some that are like industry specific. So I'm in a lot of Facebook groups that are for like videographers and broadcast people. And in a lot of those groups, I kind of trust the the people a little bit more that they're going to send things to me. Right. But when it's just a random person and a random item, like I, I find that very hit and miss. Even if I want to buy something, people don't respond when I actually say, hey, I want to buy your item. Yeah, we had countless people that would just say they're interested and then disappear at the last minute. Like, mm. we, I remember one, because um, my partner, Lauren, she was selling a Nikon camera and that was, like, really hard to sell. It took ages. Oh, yeah. Um, out of interest, the, the Facebook groups that, you, that you're in, are there, like, any go-to videography or podcast groups that you, that you highly recommend people check out? Yeah, well, there's... Uh, so. There's plenty of there's plenty of buy sell groups for for videography, um, and you know a lot of those are location specific, and so there's there's heaps of them. Uh, but in terms of podcasts, um, there's a lot of Facebook communities where people gather and they talk about 
about podcast. Uh, there's a podcast we listen to, uh, which is huge now. It's mm. it, like, I, I think it's over 10,000 people now. It might, it might be much higher than that. And there's a lot of people there just talking about what are the latest podcasts and what's out there. And if you've got like a taste for a specific type of podcast, there's someone in that group that knows a good podcast that you should listen to. And the other one that's really interesting is Podcasters Support Group. Yes, I've seen this. Yeah, yeah so this this one is run by Helen Zaltzman who does the Illusionist podcast and it's a great community. It skews a little bit more towards podcast creators rather than people that consume podcasts. So it's very handy for getting tips and tricks on how to make your podcast better. And it's like, it's fantastic. And, and it's really well mod- moderated as well. Like Helen does a great job of making sure that people, people aren't there spamming with <laughs> you know, here's my latest show that I've that I've done. Shilling their show my podcast. Yeah, exactly. So um, she she runs a, a section on the weekends where people can do that. It's called Weekend Wankfest, and so people can can go and talk about uh, all all the latest content that they've done. But in general, it's about supporting each other and helping each other make better shows, find better guests, and all that sort of thing. So yeah, I can second that. It's a really good group. There's mm-hmm. also um. Australian podcasters support group or something like that, um, which is really interesting. Just yeah. lots of people for newbies, I think, is really, really yeah. Good to and look I, at. I think the Australian group is is fantastic, and it like we've we've just got a really good history of audio production in Australia. Mm. There's there's been this this like history of radio. We've had the ABC, we've had all these commercial networks, and so there's a lot of people that are very capable at producing high quality audio and these groups are great for getting tips on how to do it yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Now, going back to the very beginning, what is your, I guess, earliest memory of wanting to be involved in the media? Oh, uh, so, okay. So, this this is actually something that happened relatively late for me. So, all through school, like I, I grew up uh, mostly in Brisbane. Um, I was born in Melbourne, but, but grew up in Queensland and... All of my my school life, I knew that I wanted to do something that was uh, that was sort of technical. I I left school after year twelve and I did chemical engineering like that. <laughs> right. I went into chemical engineering because I thought that that was what I wanted to do. I wanted to to work on cool like nanotechnology things and and I thought that would be really fascinating. And I walked in to. Uh, my lecture on the first day at the University of Queensland and the first lecture I was in, the lecturer said, there's 600 people here in this room, 20 of you will become engineers. And so I left six months later. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I passed everything, but I I just realized that that wasn't what I wanted to do. Um, And then I moved on and I did animation for film and television so that that was probably the first time where i started to get a hint of yeah i'm interested in sort of media production um and then as i was doing that course i realized that i really love telling stories and the best way to tell stories is as a journalist right yeah and do you think that that had always been like an inherent trait in you as a person i don't know like i've always i've always been interested in 
the media, I'm always someone that that reads and engages with media. So it may have been there and I just never had Mm. thought that that was something that I could do myself. And I, I've never been someone that enjoys writing. So, you know, to, <laughs> as soon as, as, soon as I'm, I, I start telling everyone, yeah, I, by the way, I've just done this animation degree, but I'm going back to university to study journalism. And then all of a sudden people are going, oh, you must be a good writer then. I'm like, no, I, I don't like writing, but I love like audio production and video production and, and that sort of aspect of storytelling. And the writing has come naturally as part of that hmm. why i guess animation and not say go into videography or audio engineering straight away why what sort of drew you to that i was fascinated with all the pixar films uh-huh. and like okay. you know that 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 was my life growing up like i'm of that that age where pixar was the thing like watching Toy Story and A Bug's Life and and all these Pixar productions. And that got me really interested in, in like animation. And as I started studying that, there was a lot of people in my course that were focusing on like game production and creating characters for, for computer games. And I was really keen on like film and television and how you could use animated characters to tell really engaging and interesting stories. And I was always more like a little bit technically minded. I'm not a great, I'm not a great artist in terms of like, like I can't draw very well. Uh, and there's some, there's some horrible drawings that, that I made through my animation course, which I, w- I just knew when I handed them in, were never going to pass. They, they were terrible. Um, but in the end, it was more about, well, how can I use this medium to tell something really interesting and tell an engaging narrative? And so I learned a lot about narrative production through that course. Yeah, I think I, I had a very similar feeling. Like I, I was always intrigued by stories. I just was never a creative type. So it mm. sort of, it, it's, it would never really singled out to me as that was the, the thing to go pursue or focus on. Mm. Um, you know, I always had family involved in sort of printing, which is a form of media. Yeah. So, it was always like I loved the smell of paper as a kid. <laughs> um, I'm intrigued to know for you growing up, what were sort of the stories that you really uh, that you really enjoyed? Oh, like how, how do you mean in terms of like what sort of stories? You know, like when you get nostalgic, what are the stories that you look back to that sort of make you excited about storytelling? Ooh. Look, when I was when I was a kid, I read a lot of books, right? Like I I read all the like Famous Five and Enid Blyton yeah. books and all that sort of thing, where where they really like engage you in this this story of of an adventure and and taking you on this journey, and that was something that like I always read those books all the way all the way from when I was a kid, um, and. I think some of some of that sort of plays into how you tell a story at a later stage, right? So now that I'm actually making stories, I feel like I can draw on everything that I consumed and, and read. But it was interesting because when like a lot of a lot of those sort of fiction books I read when I was I was very young. Uh, I read them when I was in primary school. And then as I sort of started reaching high school, I started to transition from reading fiction to reading nonfiction books. Uh-huh. And so now I almost exclusively read nonfiction. If, if I'm going to read a book, it's going to be a nonfiction book. It's going to be how 
you know, how Google was started. Like it, it'll, it'll be that, that type of book. It'll be business book. It'll be people talking about their experience with life. And almost now all my like book collection is nonfiction stories because I find human stories so much more interesting than fiction stories. Right. Because anyone can sit down and, and write a work of fiction, but not everyone can have the same life experience. You can't just imagine that your life is going to be a particular way. It happens a particular way, but you can't just imagine that it's going to be a particular way and then it will automatically happen like that. It doesn't work like that. No one knows what's going to happen. And so it's so interesting that everyone has different life stories and I find those so fascinating. Hmm. With, with these stories and the sort of excitement you get from it, I mean, in its essence, what do you think it is? Do you think it's like a form of, I don't know, like escapism or or that you can be transplanted sort of into another world and it's sort of like the door is open to that world now? I think it's like it's the easiest way to experience things that you may not have the opportunity to experience yourself. Okay. So, it, it does give you a door into another world that you may not get the opportunity to have. Um, you know, I, I will probably not be the founder of another company like Apple. I'd love to be. Uh, but, you know, there can only be so many companies like Apple. So, it was, it's fascinating to read a story about Steve Jobs yeah. and learn about how he built this amazing thing. And, you know, I think that I find just very inspirational and, and reading nonfiction stories and the way that people the way that people handle themselves and and come through adversity is just fascinating. And I think I find that really inspiring for me and it motivates me every time I read a story about like a successful startup founder. That motivates me with my own business to to just like hustle down and start making better content and <laughs> and you know making a better business and it gives me hope for what I'm trying to do. Yeah, I know what you mean like if you know you go here like Elon Musk talk about saying about his 100 hours a week type thing. Mm. It sort of really gives you perspective. Totally. Maybe it just gives you that. Yeah, it's yeah. Fa- it, like it's fascinating to see how people do things. Mm. And you know, everyone's got a different style. Like Elon Musk, I've read all these stories about how he allocates his day into five minutes. And that's fascinating. Like, I don't think I could ever be that disciplined that I could allocate things in five minute batches. Like that would never work for me. I'm not that sort of person. (laughs) Why do you think he allocates in five minute batches? Simply the time is so construed that he needs to do that or... Well, I don't think he could. I don't think he could run all the companies that he runs unless he did it that way. Like, you know, he's got Tesla, he's got he's got SpaceX, he's got the Boring Company now. Like, it it seems that every time he has has some kind of some kind of dream, you know, all of a sudden he's like, okay, this is a business, and he starts making making all of these businesses. So there's no other way that he could be the CEO of all of these companies unless he was very disciplined with his time. Yeah. Most people struggle with one, right? Yeah, I know. It's it's absolutely insane. And the fact that he's able to do it in, in, in the strain that he had done during, like, mm. particularly that hard period of his life is, I don't know, it's sort of, it's, I don't think we've ever seen anything like that ever. No. And I think there's still a big question mark over 
well, what would happen if instead of doing things the way that he, you know, has all of these companies, what if he just focused on one company? Mm. Like what would be the outcome of SpaceX if Elon Musk was, you know, 100% on SpaceX? Mm-hmm. Like he has all these plans to go to Mars. But I, I, I think, you know, somehow by splitting up his time, he's able to still to still bring this like amazing amazing influence to his businesses and that can only happen through hiring great people so probably he's just a really good person at identifying the right people to work on these on these various ideas yeah i would wholeheartedly agree with that but also it sort of reinvigorate him in a way because mm. you know he's always he'd see something in one business and want to implement it elsewhere and he'd get very excited about that i can yeah. imagine that um, I want to come back to Elon because I think there was an important point that you made uh, with the recent Facebook pushback, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we'll come back to that. But I'm, I'm just intrigued going back to your, I guess, early interests. Do you find that there's a lesson that either of your parents have taught you that sort of stuck with you for life? And it might be just something that they mention directly or indirectly. Oh, that's oh, that's so hard. Um, so, I know my dad has been... He's been someone that has run his own business for a very long time. Um, when I was a kid, uh, like less than six, he was running his own business. He was a builder then. Uh, he now sells cars. Uh, he's someone that has adapted to a range of different things uh, and he's been able to, even though he's got all these different businesses that he's been a part of, he's worked for other people, he's, you know, pivoted and changed his business. Uh, he, he started out, uh, I remember back around 99, 2000, he was selling computers and he did that for a number of years and then he started selling more cars. So, the cars took took over and like he was he was someone that always pivoted and he's got drive like you wouldn't believe and you know he's in his late 60s and like he works till 3 a.m every morning because (laughs) that's just what he does so i think that that is that's inspirational um and then like my mom is is great like she's she's someone that even if there's things that are going wrong, she's still just quite positive about life in general. And I think that's, that's great. And like, I like to think that I'm that sort of person because of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's always amusing sort of um, looking back and reflecting on, I find your parents, you see sort of elements of them in yourself, Hmm. um, particularly later, (laughs) later in life. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. Like I, I would love if, when I'm in my late 60s, I have the drive to be able to work until 3am in the morning. And like dad's been able to to do a lot because of that. And I don't know that many people in their late late 60s who, you know, who really should be retiring. Like that's where most people would be retiring who are willing to put in the hours to work as hard as he does. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that because I remember we had um, Jeff Kennett uh, his episode actually got published today and he said, well, he believes that the moment you 
uh, retire is the moment you start dying or something of that ilk. <laughs> yeah, I'd believe that. Yeah. It, it's it's almost like it's almost like uh, you know most people kind of have this have this theory that when you go on holidays is when you get sick because you know you're super busy and then all of a sudden the moment that you try to relax your body is just like no nah, I can't handle it right? and, <laughs> and you know I I reckon that must be the same way with with work and I, like I'm I'm someone that is I'm just fascinated by ideas hmm. and I've had a million ideas for various things that I've wanted to do I wanted to pursue I fleshed them all out and I think that, you know, I, I can't ever imagine a point where I wouldn't want to be learning and iterating and coming up with new ideas. Like, I, I can't imagine that happening. And I hope that when I'm 70, that I am still coming up with new ideas because I would hate to not have that ability. Yeah, I think um, if you were at that age and you sort of weren't investigating new things, it's sort of like your brain just starts to really shut down. No, you know that's I mean? right. Yeah and, yeah. and, you know, and people of that age that are investigating uh, new ideas, you know, like th- some, for some reason, people, as they get older, just have, have this ability to not let things go. And I think that makes them very effective at pursuing new ideas. And, you know, there's some great videos that, that Gary Vaynerchuk has put out about, you know, people that start businesses later in life there's no reason why they can't be every bit as successful as some some 20-year-old that's decided to start an app and got funding, right? There's no reason why they can't be. Exactly. I mm-hmm. definitely agree with that. Now, your career, you, you studied and then you spent, I think I counted roughly five to six years across media at the ABC, SBS, News Corp. I'm sure I've missed some, somewhere else mm. there. Network 10. Network yeah. 10. Um, you've now founded Lawson Media, which yes. I would say is more new media than the old media that you used to work for. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's a bit of a bold move to go from old to new media, and I'm just trying to understand. Well, you're you're probably trying to understand it yourself as well. Mm. Why do it? It's it's not that I haven't already been doing it right. So I've been working in these traditional media companies. Like when I started at Network Ten, that was my first job, and I was hired specifically because of my social media skills. I was hired for like a a back newsroom role. I was in the news library, but the reason they hired me was because I knew social media. And so I could, I, I started the social media accounts and this was like 2010. And by that time, people were really starting to, you know, focus on social media. Twitter was a couple of years old by then. So that was new media. Mm. And so from from there, I moved to News Corp. I was I was doing digital production. I worked with uh, Dave Early, who is an amazing, amazing digital editor, um, digital producer, production uh, production manager, journalist, etc. And he's now the audience editor at the Guardian Australia. And I learned so much from him about how you can you can take these old newspapers and bring them into into the digital world and make them something that is just super super engaging and like he taught me a lot about building social communities as well so i knew a bit from everything i'd done at, at network 10 but 
with him, we were able to build this like super engaged social community around around local newspapers, and we were we were getting engagement statistics that many of the larger companies would be totally happy to get like they they would have been fascinated by the engagement levels that we were able to get across our pages right so that taught me a lot about building community and like everything else i've been doing since then has all been new media focused i've been digital focused in all these companies i've been trying to work on new digital ideas and the reason for leaving the abc to start my own my own business was that I just got frustrated with how long it takes to get things done. At some of these big companies, it, it, there's no... You, you have to stick to an agenda, right? Like, there's, there's a very set agenda that comes from the top of the organization. And there's often people that have been in similar roles at these organizations for a long period of time. Mm. And the innovation is sometimes hard to push through. And I've always felt that I'm someone that has tried to drive innovation at these companies. Yeah. Uh, and so, starting my own business is really giving me the the freedom to be able to experiment and to to focus on things that I'm passionate about. And like podcasts is one of those things that I'm passionate about. And this was a great opportunity to really focus on that. Yeah. There's two things you mentioned there. The first one about community. Hmm. I mean, what did you learn from building that community in particular, what was crucial? I think it was it was that we grew community without any ad budget. So, we had to make sure that... Which, mind you, can I just add, that is a really interesting constraint because we're mm. going to essentially try and do the same thing bar for the podcast medium. Yeah. So, I'm intrigued to hear that. Yeah. So, like that, that, that was actually a really important thing for us. So, with the local newspapers, we were already constrained from budgets. We didn't have money to spend on Facebook ads. And we could look at these other sites that spent huge amounts of money on Facebook advertising, and they just weren't getting community engagement. People weren't commenting on their social posts. And so what we were able to do was really make our content relevant to the audiences. We had a number of different Facebook pages and they were targeted to speak to people's specific region because local newspapers inherently are for a specific region of a city. And so we were able to engage those local communities. And so we experimented with things like we did this, did this thing called boost your business Friday. And so every Friday we gave, we gave businesses the permission to for free without having their comments removed, advertise on our Facebook page. <laughs> Just go and stick your latest offer here. <laughs> and this is where the local community can come and they can see what you're advertising. Like, and this is uh. before Facebook Marketplace. Like, this is before Facebook groups were a big deal. Like, none of this stuff was there. No one was doing it. And as soon as we we did that, of course, you know, there was there was people internally that were like, hey, hang on, hang on, hang on. What you're giving, hang on, you're letting people advertise on the Facebook page for free and you're not, we're not charging them. And we're like, no, we're not going to charge them. We're just going to let them participate in our community. And that's often what it's about because often people just post social links, they share content, but 
they don't give people permission to engage with that content. Right. So sometimes you have to be very explicit in asking people to engage with your content. You have to show that you're interested in people's opinion about what you're doing. Yeah. Do you think like that sort of, because that reminds me of the podcast group where, you, you know, mm. what is it? The Is it the Friday Wankfest or? Yeah, yeah. Weekend Wankfest. Week, weekend Wankfest. Yeah. Because um, I know I've participated in that. And I feel like that is like a crucial aspect where it draws a lot of new people in and they, they get maybe a bit of feedback and then all of a sudden they're sort of enamored with the group and they're willing to offer their time, their cognitive surplus to engage mm. in other areas on on the group. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. Like people often need permission to engage with content. So what we would find is that if we put up a news article and we didn't put any question asking people to respond, less people would comment. Mm. But if we specifically asked people, hey, we really want to know your opinion. What do you think about this? Uh, You know, how should a particular law be changed? What do you think about the way the government is dealing with something? If we specifically ask a question and we put it there that and, and we show that we are really keen to listen to what people are saying, then people will engage with the content. Yeah. But if you don't ask people to engage, often they won't. Mm. Yeah, it sort of becomes like a like you're sort of standing there on the street just yelling at people. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which, which goes nowhere. And, yeah. and so many people, that's their approach to social media is just to blast people with content and not to truly understand and engage with their community. Yeah. Let's say you had a grand extra in budget with your podcast right now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's say, let's actually use our business as, as an example because it's something we're trying to figure out right now. Sure. And your options are, okay, I could do ads. I could do more content on top of what we're doing. So, more numbers of the stuff that we're already doing or we could do it in something else around the community. How would you, what would be your option for people to focus on the community if you had that grand spare that's that's a really hard one um yeah it's 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 challenging like yeah. i would not sink money into social ads no no because yeah. the more the more money that you sink into social ads i feel that the less the less community engagement that you're going to get from your social community and this is something that that a lot of people have noticed with facebook is that the more that you advertise, the less your content seems to surface. And we're not saying that, you know, that is necessarily a correlation, but it's something that I've noticed. It's something that a bunch of other people have noticed. The more you advertise, for some reason, your content seems to surface less. Hmm. And we think that that might be to do with Facebook trying to push you more towards spending money. I would try to focus probably on more content and like it also depends on what you're trying to what you're trying to to build the audience around so with podcasts that it's it's very specific like I know with podcasts that we experimented with a bunch of different ways of advertising uh, moonshot which is which is the podcast that we're producing at the moment and the best way to advertise that was on other podcasts because people are already on that medium. We're paying attention to where people are actually engaging with the content and advertising to them on the platform that is proven to 
be where people, you know, engage with podcast content. But you, if if you're trying to build like a news site or, or, or something along those lines, then having more content can be a good thing. But having better content is even better. Yeah. So, if I had the budget, I would be doubling down on extra podcast episodes for my show. Like, interesting. Yeah. 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 That is interesting. Yeah. It's, I think it's a... A tricky task to assess based on the type of business and mm. the type of content they're producing. Yeah. And I think it changes. It changes completely because, and this is something that news companies have found, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of big news pages. They pump out like 20 stories a day. It's really Yeah, hard. and they're all just fucking listicles as well. <laughs> yeah, 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 listicles, all kinds of things. They've used clickbait headlines. Like yeah. Facebook's really tried to clamp down on all, all of that stuff. And I feel like there's a very specific shift in Facebook in the past maybe two years where Facebook's relevance has moved more towards community engagement. And it's moving back towards what Facebook used to be and what Twitter used to be. There used to be these really really sort of intricate communities of people and this was before media and brands came in and ruined the platforms um which is you know a necessary evil of having having these free services but i feel like facebook are really trying to shift the pendulum back to community engagement and trying to make sure that you can see content from your friends and family and if you've got a facebook group then that content surfaces more than a facebook page Interesting. So, you know, there's a lot of benefit with like a brand actually starting a Facebook group and talking about content and not just be there like pushing their content, but actually engaging with the community. Just being there as a voice, not being there as trying to trying to shove content it's funny you mentioned that because i had like you know how you get those recommendations like oh revisit this memory and it was some memory from six years ago and i posted saying like i wish people would stop going on about game of thrones and my partner's probably <laughs> laughing to this as she's listening to it but um i remember like there was 20 comments on it like mm. like and nowadays if you post that it's just like people out of reaction like a like or a totally um, or like they tag someone in something and it's not really engagement it's just like they're sort of consuming it in a way. Totally. And then there's, there is, obviously, there are examples where they would have certain brands or companies or media companies, whatever it is, that they really like love seeing their stuff and that gets up to the top of their feed. But you're definitely right. It's changed a lot hmm. since um, it first came around. And sort of that, that reminded me about. Um, or the men- you mentioning about the sort of clickbaity titles got me into the idea of storytelling. And now you shared a very interesting article by a gentleman, I'm sorry if I butcher his name, Joshua Topolsky, I think it was. Right, yes. Yeah. Um, so it mainly highlighted, for those that haven't read it, that media business need to foc- on, focus on storytelling, particularly for the long term, as opposed to this click-first, I guess, model that you call it. Now... I think speaking to Andrew, the two of you have focused on not so much the podcast being about your voices, but more about the story. And it's so funny because like in the last week, um, my partner and I, we were obsessed with this TV show called Love that's on Netflix. (laughs) And I don't know how or why I could be so obsessed with these characters that don't exist. It's easy to get obsessed with Netflix shows, right? (laughs) But this is like something I I was, we were genuinely depressed that the the show is no longer on. It was like a Mm. three series show that Judd Apatow did. 
Mm. Um, and so I'm just interested, like, this all goes back to storytelling. How do you view it? What are sort of the principles that guide you? So, so uh, yeah, like, so it's, it's, it's interesting, right? Because I, it's also dependent on the type of story that you're trying to tell. Um, like what works for a true crime story won't work for a technology story. Mm. There, there are some very like key principles in terms of like how you tell a story. So a lot of, a lot of what I've done in the past has been about letting the person that I'm speaking with tell their own story because no, no matter how you try to tell someone's story, it's their story. And if you can let them tell their own story, you're going to get so much more power out of it. And you jump in and you, you help explain it to people because, you know, a, a lot of people don't have experience with telling things in a way that is necessarily engaging. But the powerful moments come from the person who it actually happened to. So, when I go to record a podcast or I go to record a video, I try to get someone to explain their own story and to talk through their experience and what happened to them and how they arrived at this current moment. Mm. And that's something that we tried to carry across into the Moonshot podcast. You know, for people that don't know, the show is very much about future technology ideas. So we try to bring that into what we're doing. We try to make sure that we give people room to tell their story or explain their experience and we color it in with with like myself and Andrew explaining some very complex topics or bridging different parts of the story but we try to craft it in a way that will draw people through the listening experience yeah it's really interesting so do you think that is maybe the crucial difference between old and new media and that in new media, you're allowing the source to tell their story, whereas in old media, you're telling the story for the source. I think it's medium-focused, right? right? So, this type of thing has happened in radio documentaries for a long period of time. Right. And one thing that you'll notice if you look at traditional television and you look at traditional radio and you look at the various ways that news is explained radio often gives people more more time and more space because audio is just this medium that allows people to engage at another level that television can't and and that that's not to say that you can't get incredibly engaging moments on television because you can you can get powerful moments on television that don't need words you just need the pictures mm but it's all about knowing what the medium is that you're delivering the story to and telling that story in the best way for that platform. So if you're producing a podcast, we know that and, and the data shows that if people listen for five minutes, they will probably listen for 45 minutes. So if you can tell someone's story and you have the space to be able to tell it in 45 minutes, as long as it's engaging and interesting, you should let it run for the 45 minutes. If it's not that interesting, you should trim it back. But it's all about knowing what is the strength of the platform that you're on and then figuring out the best way to tell 
tell the story on that platform. Right. So, medium is, I guess, if we're looking at crucial aspects, medium is crucial and then deciding, let's say, going back to your example with audio, how how do you effectively use that to, um, you know, to get people to listen to the, or consume the whole thing? Yeah. So, like we try, we specifically with what we're doing, we're doing narrative audio. Mm. So, we try, usually most of our episodes have multiple voices. We like to start an episode with someone talking about something that has happened to them or explaining an idea. And that helps, gets people's imagination flowing from the start. Most of the time, we don't just play a theme tune to start the show. We start with a story and then we make that story relevant to you as an individual and then we start talking about what's coming up in the episode. So, it it's very much a sort of like a formulaic thing for how people will engage with with content. The episodes where we just start straight into our theme track don't necessarily, you know, result in audiences that are as engaged because when you can start people on a, on a really interesting story and make something relevant to them, all of a sudden there's this thread of, oh, actually, I should listen to this. Hmm. Yeah, it's very, very interesting. Um, what, what would you define this media? Like you spoke about yours as narrative. Like do you, is there a certain name for interview styles? Is it simply just chat or is it something else entirely? Because I've always tried yeah. to study like who are the pros in the area Um and who stands out and what sort of makes them unique and why do people always view their stuff? Yeah, like there's there's so many different styles of how people are making podcasts. Uh, like a great example of of an interview talk show would be Tim Ferriss and the, uh, the Tim Ferriss show. And he just goes and, and, and sits down and has really long conversations. They're not very, they're not really edited at all. You know, there's there's a little bit of an introduction that goes on the on the front of the episode, but that's about it. And they're just long conversations. Mm. And his format is just to get really fascinating and interesting people to talk about their own experience. And he just goes into so much depth that it's impossible to not want to, <laughs> you know, to listen. Of course, yeah. because you know these people by reputation. And then with our show, our show is is narrative. It's scripted. We script everything. We, it's, we don't just sit down and talk. So, Andrew is located in San Francisco. I'm based in Melbourne. And the only way that that works is for us to script everything. It's the only way it makes sense. It's the only way that we could find times where we could actually record because of the time zones. Yeah. And if we didn't do it that way, the show just wouldn't exist. Yeah, I remember you spoke about that in sort of the lessons you've learned thus far, haven't you? Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, I want to jump back to Elon again. Sure. And look, I don't like putting, I guess, timestamps on interviews. I like them being as evergreen as possible. But I think we are at a really interesting stage right now with the media Obviously, I, I, I feel like I know where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> We've got the whole Cambridge Analytica thing. So, we're looking at March yes. 2018 um, with Facebook and 
I know you were a bit frustrated that people like Elon had removed SpaceX and Tesla from Facebook simply because someone is able to find out about those fascinating stories of SpaceX and Tesla through those mediums. Um, And it's sort of timely that I I recently listened or watched to a series on YouTube um, by a gentleman who runs the Caspian Report, and he does a lot of geopolitical stuff, but this three-part series was on the media and particularly about mass communication. Um, He was talking about during the 20th century, you had yellow, what you call yellow journalism, and then how it moved to source-based journalism, which was sort of the standard now. Um, I'm disintrigued as we're entering this sort of what everyone calls post-truth era. Where do you see journalism right now? Oh, that... That that is a hard question. Um, journalism is in transition, mm. right? Like I, the old models of how the media is sustainable is not working anymore. There's been a lot of frustration around Facebook. Obviously, there's there's you mentioned Cambridge Analytica, and you're you're alluding to a tweet that that <laughs> I sent out in response to Elon Musk, and I said, you know, this is this is stupid, this is a bad bad decision to leave Facebook. I agree with you on that, by the way. It's silly, yeah. silly, it's, short-sighted. It, it's short-sighted, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. In the end, the breach wasn't really Facebook's fault. It was someone that, a developer, essentially, a researcher that had created an app that gave that information to Cambridge Analytica. And Facebook had mostly fixed those problems. And it's an important medium for reaching audiences. And this has created a problem, though, in journalism because media companies have struggled with this adaption of digital technology. And Facebook is a platform that media companies have inherently struggled with. And not because there's like a lack of people on Facebook, because there's billions of people there. We see media companies just throwing all of this content on Facebook but because it is on Facebook and they're not engaging on their website. And so the media companies haven't been getting a cut. And so there's been this huge debate happening in journalism about should Facebook and should Google be sending some of their profits to the media companies because they're stealing audiences from those companies. They make a change to the algorithm and then all of a sudden the media companies are held hostage to everything that happens. Or should they be regulated as well? Yeah, or, like- and, and so that that's also a question that's being looked at at the moment. There's, uh, you know, there's been Senate committees, et cetera, looking at, looking at this question over new media and, and, the, and the role of companies like Facebook and, and Google in like driving traffic, et cetera, to, to media companies. And there, like there was a problem where media companies that put a paywall up, Google was not sending them traffic in the same way as as other pages. And media companies were frustrated with that. I have a problem with those companies because I feel like there's a lot of companies that don't understand the value that's required to charge for content. There's a lot of companies in Australia that you go to read a local news story and you, you end up on this paywall. And I understand that the the importance of making money, but you have to know when you should make money. 
And I feel like there's a lot of media companies which don't know when they should be making money. Mm. They don't know when the valuable content is actually there for audiences. They just put a paywall up across everything. And the and they've put that up in front of audiences that have been engaging with free content for, you know, more than a decade. Years, years now, yeah. Exactly. Media companies didn't take digital seriously. They put their content out for free and then they decided, oh, no, we're not making enough money now, but all of the eyeballs are on digital platforms. We're going to start charging for it. Hmm. And there's very few companies that I think effectively do that. The New York Times is one that effectively does that. Okay. I read the New York Times and I feel like I should be paying for their journalism because it is that good. It is detailed. It is in-depth. And I feel that they have this ability to to make me want to pay because I know the content is so good. The Guardian has a lot of people that support them financially because their content is good and they're obviously free to access site. But there are many companies that I don't think provide enough value to be able to get audiences across the line. Do you think then... Because that's an interesting point about the New York Times. I think I'd agree, like, the quality of their content is mm. um, superior. But they do ask people after a certain amount of times to pay for a subscription. Yes. Is that is that the right time to ask people to pay? I mean, and is it is the model now um, extremely high quality, not quantity, mm. just to fill space? Because now you don't have to fill the white space on a on a paper most of the time because sure. not as many people are reading it, and you combine that with giving people a taste, but eventually they must pay. Yeah, well, it's it's it it is all about the quality, right? And that's why the New York Times is able to provide some free stories and then charge you money because they know that their content is worth paying for. But there are many organizations where the content, and, and there will be people that disagree with me, but there's a lot of times where broadly a large amount of the content is just not worth paying for. Hmm. And it's not because they don't have interesting stories to tell. It's just because they're not thinking about the platform and they're not thinking about what it takes to get people across the line. So, we see this problem where they're shifting blame onto Facebook and Google for everything that those companies have done, which largely has been to provide them traffic and to provide them audiences that they didn't have before. But the mistake that they had, they made, a lot of those companies, was that they invested so much in these social platforms that they forgot to invest in their own websites and their own content and their own platforms. And for the past decade or more, where they should have been building these these audiences around really high quality content they just weren't yeah and the same goes for you know old paper newspapers i still think that there's going to be a place for something tangible that you can feel i agree with that yeah but But it needs to be quality yeah it can't be yesterday's news it needs to be something that is different that is in depth that is something that you're not going to get anywhere else yeah it's funny you mentioned that because like i spoke with founders um uh, CEO Nathan Chan, he he believed that the reason they were successful was purely because they had a physical thing to show as well um, as part of their they had a mag- they had like a, a digital magazine on mm. iTunes and then eventually they have like a quarterly book mm. um, and he believed that was honestly the reason why they were able to succeed. 
So I found I, I'd agree with that, and I hope so because you know my dad's a printer, so <laughs> yeah. he, he needs work. But um, people love feeling things; they, they do. Love, yeah. They love the tangible nature of a newspaper, and you will never ever get that from a digital platform. Yeah, and like pe- people just really inherently, when they're designing media for any platform, they need to understand what are the advantages of that particular form of media, and you need to play to that form of media people that made radio shows and then just put those radio shows on a podcast are not doing justice by oh, yeah the media that's a sin <laughs> that- yeah there's there's very few radio shows that can do that this american life probably one of the only shows that effectively does that yeah because they were already creating a, a form of journalism that worked really well in podcast format but what has been shown by things like the Daily that from the New York Times, and also uh, there's uh, Today Explained from Vox, uh, these daily podcasts, is that they've come up with this this format of how they can tell the day's news content in an interesting way for a podcast audience, and that is completely changing their ability to monetize their content. Yeah, and it's all because they did something different to what they had done on a different platform. And what had happened when media companies first embraced digital content was the same thing that was in the newspaper was also on the internet and was also being posted to your social platform for free. And then there was iPad apps and people would post the same thing to the iPad app. So I engage with your content on the iPad app and then I see on your website the exact same story. So I'm not going to read the same thing twice. Yeah, I mean, going to this sort of sounds like matching your message to the medium. How how can people? What are resources that people can look at to better understand this more deeply? I think it's uh, all about analytics and engaging with the data from the various platforms, seeing how what formats people listen to. So, like what I mentioned earlier was, you know, if people listen to five minutes of a podcast, the data shows that they will listen up to 45 minutes if it's good. So, you know, you can really think about, like, what is the best format for the story? And in the end, it all comes back to the story and what's going to be the best way to tell a story. Because there are some stories that are best told in a stream of tweets and there are plenty of journalists that are doing that. Yeah, that's a good point. But there are some stories that you need detail. And if you don't have the detail, you just will not understand the story. Mm. And I think like true crime stories that, you know, have been fascinating in newspapers for for years where the reporters follow, follow this case and it happens and unfolds over a period of time. But unless you read all of the previous stories, you wouldn't really understand how a case evolved but in a podcast format like true crime has shown to be such such an engaging medium for stories because people are just fascinated by this stuff that these these bad things that have happened in society yeah and it's also really there's something about listening to it on audio as well i don't know what it is you kind of get this like suspense of like yeah. you know if you, you, you yeah you're listening to serial and then like you, you get you get this feeling I really want to know what happened next and it, it it's not because inherently the journalism behind those stories is that different but the medium is it just allows you to really immerse yourself in this narrative and to really get get this story so far into your brain that you just can't let it go and 
I think it's just the evolution of what has been done previously, but now it's just all in one place. It's very easy to engage with and it's told in a way that that is designed to make you want to listen to it. And, you know, shows shows that really, and, and this goes for all media in general, if you understand your audience and you understand the platform that you're broadcasting to, then your audience will come along for the ride and they will share your content and they will feel engaged with the content as well. Now, speaking about Medium and jumping into the Moonshot podcast, yes. which is your podcast, why a podcast and not, say, like a YouTube channel or um, a book? Why, what, okay, why so that's a, that's, a good, that's a good question. Uh, and that's not to say that those things won't exist at some stage. Okay. Right. So, I'm not, I'm not like writing off a YouTube channel. In, in fact, it is something that I've thought about starting a moonshot youtube channel but it's also like a resources thing so i think to do it justice on youtube will take an amount of time and it, it might be something that we approach maybe later this year um but it does take a lot of time to produce content that is that is good and interesting okay and podcasts also like it, it, it was both myself and andrew were super fascinated about what was happening in the podcast space, we listened to Startup from Gimlet. You know, we've we've listened to all of these these super high quality shows, and we wanted to experiment with telling something about these technologies that we just found ourselves talking about all the time. We found ourselves talking about Elon Musk going to Mars. We found ourselves talking about electric cars and and all of this sort of technology, robots, etc. And podcasting just seemed like a great medium to explore telling those stories and it's it's been super effective yeah and so you never even looked at or thought about the fact that um maybe other people are telling these sorts of stories it was simply you want to tell these stories this is the platform which best suits my resources and this is how i want to do it and we'll see how it goes from there yeah exactly like it there there were other people talking about these stories but i i felt like outside of silicon valley and the the tech reporters that work on some of the big technology publications the amount of people talking about these technologies was just not high enough uh-huh and mm. now is the right time to be talking talking about those technologies and having a podcast and gives us the space to be able to really do a deep dive i wanted to explain technology in a way that a way that my mum could understand. I keep trying to tell her that there will be a self-driving car that will <laughs> arrive at your doorstep. And this is not a bad thing. Like she swears that she will never ride in an autonomous vehicle. And I say to her, but in 20 years time, if you're still alive, you know, she'll be in her, in her 90s, maybe then, you know, maybe you want to get an autonomous car because you can't drive. Right. And maybe that will enable you to get to somewhere and give you the autonomy that you would love to have, but current technology restricts you from doing that. But unless you explain that technology to people in a way that they can relate to and they understand, then like, there's no point in just talking to technology nerds. I get the technology, you would get the technology, but... My mum's not going to understand the technology. She needs someone to sit down and break it down and explain it in a way that is interesting and engaging and makes it relevant to her. Yeah. And that's something that we try to do with Moonshot. Like, we really try to break down those technologies in a way that 
is interesting to people of all ages, but doesn't insult the people that actually understand the technology. Yeah, I think in my own observation and having been on one of your um, episodes, what I really like about it is it's sort of like going back to people who may be more technically advanced. It's, it's not an offensive way of introducing them to the topic because it sort of helps them rationalize it in their own head and better articulate it to people themselves. Because a lot of the time, more technical people are often talking to more technical people. And mm-hmm. to have that paired back is what I really like. I've always enjoyed in explaining technical things to, you know, close family and friends to see... Uh, like, I mean, Richard Feynman always had that viewpoint that if you can explain something to a child, then you're going to be okay, you know? Hmm. Um, is, so, is it like, is it real, it's a real skill to explain things to It's really to hard. Yeah. It's, really it's hard. something that scientists have struggled with for <laughs> such a long period of time. And this is why the conversation is such a big deal. Like, the conversation website, the reason that exists is because scientists don't know how to talk about their technology. They don't know how to talk about their research. And the conversation editors help all of these researchers and professors talk about things in a way that other people will understand, people that aren't trained with a PhD. Mm. And that's really important. There's like a really important role for explaining complex ideas to people in a way that is tangible to them. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that and second that motion. I mean, we, with Moonshot then, where do you see this going? So, yeah, that's it's an interesting question because we started off just wanting to talk about the technology and we were lucky enough that we got awarded a funding grant. It was $5,000 from the Walkley Foundation, which is, which is uh, they basically support journalists. And they had this innovation grant program. We applied to it and we won a $5,000 grant. And that to us was like validation of this thing that we were thinking was actually something that needed to exist. We, I'd seen a, a bunch of people in traditional media that had been doing re- reporting on technology leave the industry and go to PR and all of, all of these other areas. So that was, that was really useful for us to to just have some validation that actually this thing kind of does need to exist. And then once I started to focus on it full time, I started to really get my head around the fact that, that people are like, there's, there's so many complex topics that, and, and the rate of technology advancement is happening so quickly that this stuff is all super important to talk about. And the traction that we've been getting has has been really great. We've had a lot of great feedback from people and I want to keep producing the show. So, in like what's next for the show, we're going to keep producing episodes. We're trying to make them more regular. We've got uh, some advertisers on board. We don't yet make enough money for it to be totally sustainable, but I want it to be a sustainable thing. And I would love to see Moonshot explode into its own sustainable brand that you know maybe there is a youtube channel maybe there there is other aspects to moonshot that we haven't thought about yet that enable people to really explore these big ideas maybe it's a subscription site i don't know yet 
Um, but I want it to be a sustainable media business. Mm. And I think it's something that you just need to keep exploring as it progresses. Exactly. And what we've been doing so far has allowed us to experiment with podcasts. It's allowed us to experiment with the format of the shows. We got awesome feedback in the first five episodes. Um, We had people tell us that, oh, you've got too much music on the show. You need to cut back on the music. So if you look past episode five, we have less music because we were listening to our audience and and evolving the show and it might continue to evolve it might transition from audio to video like there's so many possibilities for what we can do with moonshot that i'm just super excited to keep working on it and i would love to hire a team and and build a team out because like i want to be the person that in 10 years time where we have all of this technology. I want to be the person that's been reporting on this technology for the last 10 years. And I'm the expert that they come to, to talk to about Mm -hmm. it because I knew that this stuff was happening and we decided to pay attention to it and make it relevant for people and tangible for people to understand. Mm. Sort of reminds me of um, Tim Ferriss's interview, recent interview with um, Tim O'Reilly. He spoke about that quite a lot. He always wanted to be that individual who simplified things for for everyone and they've gone into hardcore uh, you know they got like the o'reilly media has um the educational books and whatnot Hmm. yeah he's a very interesting guy it sort of seems like a similar message there Hmm. um now you've obviously learned a lot of lessons i loved reading your medium post about this and finding things along the way uh the first thing i think with any podcast is launching and you mentioned that I think like ourselves as well, you'd imagined masses of people downloading the show, which is never the case. No. Unless you're some big, huge brand. No, I think um, I think like Libsyn say the average is like 150 downloads for an episode. Yeah. Uh, well, I think on our first episode, we had five downloads or something like, like on the first day, we had like five downloads. And yeah. it's like, I remember the days of, you would have some days of no downloads and it's obviously non-existent now, but mm. it's it's super interesting how that sort of accumulates over time as well um i'm intrigued if you could go back and do it again what would you do differently or how would you do it all right so okay so this this is something that i like i know the answer to this and this is i would launch the show completely differently so what we did because we were trying to get this funding grant was we put out a preview episode in august of i want to say it was like 2016 okay And so, we put out this preview episode and I was hoping to use this as leverage to say, like, here's this thing that we've already started producing. Uh, We'd already started recording and playing around with formats. But then it was six months after that to when we posted our first episode. Oh, wow. So, we missed the ability to have traction with a brand new show. And I think that that cost us audience. And so, then when we published our first episode and it got like 100 downloads or or so initially and that was really disheartening. But just having something out in the world was like motivational. Yeah. And so, we were able to publish a few more episodes and then all of a sudden Pocket Cast featured us and the downloads just exploded. But if I had to start again, I would have published everything... I would have built up like a series, maybe had a backlog of five or six episodes. And this was a problem. Like when we posted our first episode, 
we used all the content that we had <laughs> because we'd been working on this one story for like six months and yeah. playing around with the format that we hadn't thought to actually record the next episode. And so, then it was another two months before we published the next episode. So, it, it wasn't... We published our first episode. First full episode was published in March of last year, March 21st or 22nd last year. And... Well, it's a big, big gap in between those, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And like, so, so the next episode was, I want to say end of May. And that's not the way that you launch a podcast. Like, that is a terrible way to launch a podcast. Mm. The best way to launch a podcast is to have a backlog of episodes. Like six, six, six or eight in the six bank. Six or eight in the bank. <laughs> Release them on a weekly basis over a period of time. And then if you need to take a break, take a month off and while you prepare more content. But- that's the best way to launch. So, something that we really focus on now is making sure that we have regular episodes. So, we publish every two weeks just to keep a regular sh- schedule of content. And, you know, th- it takes a lot of effort, but that's what we're doing. Yeah. Now, we've spoken a little bit about promotion. Um, I know you noted in the past on posts that it's a complete waste in doing social media advertising. Totally. Not, not a complete waste, but... Um, you know, Google and Facebook is probably not the best way to go about it. You've run promotions on other podcasts. How do how do you recommend that people select, you know, where to advertise? Are they looking for similar podcasts? Yeah, I think I think having having shows that have the audience that you want on your podcast. Mm. So say you've got like a shortage of women on your podcast, then you might advertise to shows that have high percentages of audiences that have women. And, you know, that's, that's, you really just need to think about what is the audience that you're, you're that you're after. We have a, a technology show, but generally our audience is quite diverse. They're not just people that, that are in information technology backgrounds. We want to make sure that anyone that, that is interested in these technologies finds our show. But uh, when we when we were targeting ads, we searched out sciencey related shows, people that were interested in science, people that were interested in technology, looking for shows that had similar audiences to what would be our our you know what we wanted for our initial audience, and that was very effective because what one of the things that we know um, from all the podcast research that has been done is that there's a couple of ways that people find out about podcasts. One of them is word of mouth. The other one is from other podcasts. And so, if you're trying to advertise a podcast, advertising on another podcast turns out to be a really great way of getting your audience. (laughs) And is it better to focus on a breadth of podcasts or is it better to focus on like two to three that you really respect and know that they've got, say, bigger audiences than the you know, the 20 that you're combining together? I think it totally depends on what your budget is. Okay. So, we were working with a very small budget. So, we couldn't go for a show that had a huge audience, like 100,000. Like, that would have been ideal is to have a show that had 100,000 downloads or more. But we didn't have that kind of money. Um, shows that, that big are starting to command, like, really high ad rates. Right. Um, so, we targeted shows that had more than 10 to 15,000 downloads and 
that was very effective. And some of the shows I could see had a real impact, a real tangible impact to our audience. And the reason I could tell that is if a show came out and when that show was released, we moved up the iTunes rankings, I knew that there was a bunch of new subscribers to the show because the iTunes rankings, although most people don't know what they're based on, they're largely based on new subscribers to a show. So if you're ranking, you know there's new people downloading an episode. So targeting shows and then seeing a tangible result from it is really useful because then that knows that then you know that you can invest more money in that show and more audience will follow. So we found a couple of science-based shows that were really great to advertise on and if I get more money and you know <laughs> more ability to advertise in other shows, I will continue to do that. Yeah. And what else what else is crucial about this advertising? What do you want? What are sort of the call to actions that you think are really useful that some people might miss? So we try to make sure that, and and like we run advertisements for for products and and other shows on our podcast. Yeah. And one of the things when we're crafting shows for our our advertisers is that we want to make sure that what they're selling fits with our audience. So. Like there are shows that we wanted to advertise on that turned around and said, no, we don't think that your show is right for our audience and that's fine. Like, and that's what people that are taking advertising on their podcast should be doing. And when you're hunting out shows to advertise on, you need to be thinking about that. Um, Thinking about the format of what that show is and how an ad might sound in that show. You want to have a host read ad because that is more personable to the audience. They're familiar with the host of the show and that enables them to really like add a level of gravity to your to your ad that you wouldn't get any other way. If you just did like in the same way as like radio ads where they just make these stock um, 30 second commercials and then just insert them, like that doesn't work very well in podcasts. The best thing to do is to have something that is told in a way that the audience of the show will understand and have something that just just fits with the format of the show and and then have a product that is engaging to the audience. Yeah. Don't just advertise on any show. Make sure that your the audience that you're after you know you want to make sure that 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 they're actually the people that are listening to the show and you want to make sure that the message that the show has fits with your brand as well. Like, do they, you know, maybe you've got a brand that you don't want associated with a show that every second word is swearing. Like, you know, so you need to think about what the format of that show is and then think about how your ad spot might fit within that. Yeah, it's a tricky thing, particularly here in Australia. Um did you advertise mainly on US or Australian podcasts? So the ones I saw tangible responses from were Australian shows. And okay. the reason that I advertised on those shows was largely to do with audience size because they were shows that that had audiences of smaller numbers made them more accessible to me as an advertiser just based on my budget. Uh, but like if I had the money... I'd be targeting US audiences because as we've grown the show, most of our audience is US based, yeah. around 50, 
fifty percent. I think yeah. same with us as well. Yeah, yeah, and it, I think that that is just a, a factor of like how the podcast industry has evolved. Mm. There's like a hundred and twenty odd million podcast listeners in the US, and like those numbers don't exist yeah. in Australia. Like, what do you reckon? Like max a million, <laughs> max a million. Well, <laughs> like the name. Uh, I'd say like. What do you feel? I feel no, like so it wouldn't I be think, that much. No, no. I actually, I think uh, so. So the data that has been collected by the ABC and also by by Edison, there's there's a bunch of data on on podcasts, and it shows like familiarity with podcasts in Australia is like above seventy percent. Like it's actually really really high. Like a lot of people are familiar with the term podcasting, and the ABC did a survey and they found that more than 50% of people had tried to download a podcast at some stage. So, like, that tells you something really interesting about about Australia. Australia has always been a nation of early adopters. And although podcasts have been around for a long period of time, this sort, this sort of, like, renaissance that podcasts have had in the past couple of years has... It really feels like a new bubble. Like, it, it feels it feels like this new... Thing, even though <laughs> everyone's it's been doing around, a podcast. it's been around since like 2006. But yeah, everyone's doing a podcast now. Yeah, and it's so funny you mentioned that because I saw like a bit the other day from a comedian who was doing a skit, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I'm gonna go start a podcast." Yeah, like everyone's like, "That's the word now." Yeah, it's like the the app of the the noughties era is now like, "I'm gonna go start a podcast." Yeah, everyone has a podcast. Everyone wants to start a podcast. Everyone's seeing value. And you'll see, you'll see all these traditional media companies start suddenly pouring money into podcasting because they see dollars there. But they shouldn't be pouring money in because they see dollars. Mm. They should invest in platforms because they're the best way to tell a story. And, like, it's interesting because I do think that Australia, being a country of early adopters, is a place where if you can make your podcast work really well with an Australian audience... If you marketed it successfully to a US audience, you could probably see a large audience there. People are after variety in their podcasts. You, if you look at the Gimlet Medias of the world, um, these big podcasting venture-backed com- companies in the US, they're often very US-focused. Obviously, a large audience is there. But there's a lot of countries outside the US. And you know, it's not just Australia, there's Canada, the UK, etc. And you add all those together, you get an audience that is about the same size as the US, right? So, you know, probably bigger. Yeah. So, you should be trying to make content that is relevant to as many audiences as possible. I definitely agree with that. Um, like I said, I think we've found that a lot of our audience is American-based and um, it's it's very, very interesting to see... I guess how that goes and whether the audience in Australia will grow as well Mm. um, as more people start to access it. Um, I wanted to focus on uh, income, something we've spoken about ads quite a lot. Mm. What other options do you have or do you see for Moonshot? Yeah, so obviously we we take advertising um, and we charge, like at the moment we charge like a $27 CPM. Um, US dollar CPM, I should add, okay. uh, which is very important to to like point out because a lot of Australian podcasts don't charge enough for their ads because you need to represent the value and the time that goes into creating an ad and also the audience. Like it's an inconvenience for an audience to have an ad. 
So, something that we might look at um, in the future is uh, like a subscription-based site, um, providing other detailed information, interviews with founders, that it's stuff that doesn't appear in the podcast, providing extra value to, to audiences, maybe a newsletter. Uh, we could, we can also, you know, something that we want to do in the next couple of months is experiment with merchandise line. We've got amazing artwork for our podcast and I think, you know, a lot of people would love to have it like hanging on their wall. It could, it could easily fit as like these, these old space posters that people have. So <laughs> our, our artwork could easily fit within that. So you could easily do that easily. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be some cool merch as well. Yeah. So that's, not, that's something I'm really keen to do in the next couple of months. Um, but it's all, it's all a matter of like timing and trying to make sure that what we do is of a quality level that is worth people paying money for. Yeah. I don't want to just whack on my logo on, you know, a shirt from any company. Like I want to make sure that when people get it, they go, this was an experience to get this thing from the Moonshot podcast. Yeah. I think that emphasis of quality is saying that you really hold dear and is, uh, is really good for the brand long term. Hmm. Um, I'm intrigued then who who was sort of the the people the leaders in the industry that really inspire you who do you look to most because i mean i feel like a lot of what we do often in life is trying to replicate others and take from them what we enjoy and then mold it into our own yeah so who are the people that you respect alex bloomberg like anyone in podcasting probably you know respects alex mm. just just for the honesty and transparency that Gimlet had when they were starting it, and if people haven't heard the startup podcast go and listen to startup it's incredible just to listen to the journey of how this company was started and like I, I realized that there are particular things that enabled Gimlet to become the company that it is at the moment such as the fact that Alex worked on this American Life, and then he worked on Planet Money. That's right. And a lot of the early startup episodes were promoted on those shows. So I think you know the first version of first first episode of Startup played on This American Life, which already had like millions of people listening to it. Mm. So there was like this inherent ability to have an audience at the start. But something that Gimlet focuses on is is just like the quality. And that, that really inspires me. So, I listen to all of their shows when I can. I try to make sure that what I'm doing is of a similar standard to them. Like, I don't compare myself to the ABC and the shows that they put out. I try to compare myself to Gimlet because that's the quality that I want to be putting out. And sometimes I have to, like, remind myself that it, it's it's me and Andrew and that's it. Like, Andrew works full-time. And so, the podcasting for him, he, he does that on the side. I'm full-time on this and there's only so much you can do with a small team, but I'm really happy with what we've been able to do so far. Yeah. No, I think it's a good North Star to look to, I think. Um, what, what I guess are some of the the biggest mistakes or waste of time that you see people make when they first enter this space? I think there's a lot of people that are just like, I want to start a podcast and then just sit down with a microphone, just record something and then put it out. Yeah. Like, I, I think what we're seeing at the moment is this transition from just anyone with a microphone making a podcast to these more in-depth narrative style shows, shows that have taken more time to craft, 
And people that focus on the quality of their shows will see better audiences than the ones that don't. But that said, there are some shows that have big audiences that have terrible quality. And that's just largely based on who the person is that's running the show. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've noticed that, like, I love Sam Harris's podcast, but his mm. Skype interviews sometimes can be horrendous. Yeah. And that, that's the nature of Skype interviews as well. Yeah. Like, we, we recorded an interview for Moonshot, which the person that we interviewed happened to be on a very sketchy mobile reception, <laughs> like, in rural England. And I recorded it and afterwards I was listening to it and I was like, there is no way that we should use this. But the what he was saying was just so interesting. There was no way that we couldn't use it. Yeah, it's one of those tough things. I've um, I've had two interviews now where we used, um, it wasn't Skype, but it was a similar, it was Zencaster. Uh, I've just sort of been turned off ever since. I, don't know, I know that we're trying to push towards that with the, the design of the set that we're we're going to have in our studio, hmm. um, we want to sort of get to that Charlie Rose style um, interview with like big oak tables and like really prepared interviews and all that sort of stuff. I just can't see myself wanting to do that in future at all. Yeah, and all that stuff takes huge amounts of time it does, to, to, yeah. to do, like to prepare a show like that and yeah. have it be just really fascinating and interesting. takes It takes a lot of time. Yeah, it's very tough. Um, if you were recommending that people were to start their own podcast, what resources or books or information would you direct their way to start with and to plan? Okay. I think like one of the first things people should do is listen to shows that are of the format that you want to be making. Yeah. Think about what is your podcast going to be about? Are you going to create a narrative show? Are you going to create an interview style show? If you're going to create an interview style show, you need to think about the preparation for the show because it takes a lot it takes a lot to actually command a really interesting talk show. Like I can see you've got pages of notes, right? Like, you know, it takes a lot of effort to make good quality podcasts. And people need to be prepared to put the effort in. And you know, think about like a budget for your show as well. I know a lot of people may not have much money available to them and you don't need to spend a lot of money, but you really need to think about what you need to get to the type of show that you want because just recording something on your iPhone may not work for every format of show. Yeah. And having bad quality audio will turn off your your listeners and i think it's not a way to build an audience as well like you've got to be very like people aren't dumb i feel like a lot of people when they go about that they think oh yeah people just flock to me and blah blah blah. like when we went about to launch and and prepared we had certain things in place to say we're going to do this if it doesn't progress at all past six eight episodes how we want then we're just going to give it up but at least we're going to give it a shot for six Mm. to eight episodes and have that in the bank and these are the things we're going to do and yada 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 and i think that um i mean i guess so many people you must have it all the time oh how do i start a podcast how am i going to do this and then you tell them and you're actually thoughtful sometimes you I'm, i'm guessing you've probably got emails from people and you've sent them like an essay of how you'd go start i know i've done that and then they don't really pursue it or they don't really listen to what you say and lo and behold, it doesn't really progress from mm-hmm. there. It's, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Yeah, and if people have like six to eight episodes, 
Like you need to remember, if you've just got eight episodes, people are going to go back and listen to your first episode, right? So, your first episode better be good mm. because people will listen to that first and if they hate it, they won't listen to the rest of them. I'm someone that always goes back and I listen to the first episode of a show unless it's like This American Life where there's like 600 episodes. I'm not going to go back to episode one, but most shows, I do. Mm. If there's just one season or... You know, less than 20 episodes, I probably go back to the first one, listen to the first one. If I like it, then I'll continue listening. Yeah. And we found that when we've received traction for Moonshot, when we got featured in Apple Podcasts recently, that when that happened, we saw a boost to our very first episodes. People went back and listened to them. Yeah. So, I, I quickly realized... Some of those episodes had problems. <laughs> so, I actually went back and I recut a bunch of the episodes and pulled a heap of music out because people were complaining about how much music there was in the show. Yeah. I remember and you mentioned that in one of these posts. I mean, how did you maintain it on the feed without affecting downloads? Well, it doesn't. It, I, just, I just replaced the audio. So, our podcast host allows us to replace the audio for a show. Right. So, I just literally replaced it. It didn't affect the feed at all. It didn't affect the download numbers. I just replaced the master file for the audio and interesting. I think that helped. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting because, yeah, I was looking back at ours. um, I'm pretty sure the very first episode we ever did is like our most popular episode now, which is quite Mm -hmm. intriguing. Um, (laughs) Hopefully, people have stuck with it since then. Well, it's Uh, surprising how much people will go back and listen. Like our... Our first episode in the past month or so has had like 5,000 downloads, right? Like, Yeah. Well, th- that's interesting that you mentioned that because we would notice that people, we'd have like a big episode, like maybe like someone who's like internet, like well-known on the internet, got an internet community. Mm. There'd be a lot of downloads from their episode, but then the week after or like the few days afterwards is when we had like a flood because they would listen to that episode and then mm. they'd go back and maybe subscribe. Yeah. And then that's when you get that cascade effect. Yeah. Because they're totally. downloading all of the episodes. You know? Totally. Like so. we, see, we, we see them whenever we get featured somewhere, we see people dive in at different points. So, we, we will see the latest episode get downloaded an extra amount, but then we'll also see the very first episode get downloaded an extra bunch as people sort of dive in at different points. And... You know, the show's 20, 20 to 30 minutes usually and people will listen to it at various rates. So, if you get someone on that first episode, don't you don't be disheartened by the fact that your latest episode hasn't increased in download numbers because all the previous episodes will gradually be going up and so they might be working their way through and it might take them a, a month to get through those episodes. Yeah. Out of interest, what topic would you be working on if you weren't doing Moonshot? If I wasn't doing Moonshot. So, there's there's a bunch of other podcast ideas that that I've got um, yeah. that I'm hoping to launch at some stage. Um, there's a bunch of things that I find just like really fascinating. Something that I'm really interested in at the moment is figuring out a way to do technology reviews in an audio format. Um and making that engaging because like it's a form it's a format of storytelling that is so suited to YouTube right like there are so many so many YouTube tech reviewers MKBHD like he's incredible and I would love to be able to take that format and bring that to podcasting yeah and I've got a few ideas for how to make that happen 
and I've started working on something. Um, and then there's there's some other sort of in things that I find really interesting around um, around uh, like religion. Um, I find it, I find there's a lot of really interesting discussions to be had around the role that religion plays in today's society. Um, so there's something that I'm working on in in that aspect, and there's a f- there's a few other ideas for things that I've got on the back burner as well. Interesting. Well, look, I want to jump into some faster and shorter questions to finish sure. us off. Yeah, let's go. Um, first off, what does your morning ritual look like? Uh, uh, sleep in. Sleep yeah. in? Okay. Yeah. Well, as, as long as possible, then maybe watch <laughs> watch a couple of episodes of whatever television was on in the US in the previous evening and then, okay. uh, you know, watch a few YouTube videos and then start work, I don't know, 11 o'clock. <laughs> what are you watching at the moment? What TV shows? Oh, uh, I'm really into The Good Fight. Okay. I, I I was actually someone that really loved uh, loved the Good Wife, and then the spin off, the Good Fight, is really fascinating. Um, I've also loved like a heap of the the Marvel shows. So I watched Jessica Jones uh, second season a couple of weeks ago, and that was amazing. That that was so so cool. Like I love that. I love that it's dark and it's it's just such an interesting. Did you watch show. the Punisher? I did watch the Punisher. What did you think? I found it. I found it good. Yeah. Like I, I find it really interesting that the Marvel shows are just dark on Netflix. Like <laughs> they? they're, they're just so dark. Yeah. And you just see these sides of the characters that if you went to watch the Avengers or Guardians of the Galaxy, like they're different. They're so different, and it's fascinating just to see this 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 sort of like antihero side of the characters. Yeah. yeah I think um, we're sort of going through a fascinating stage with. Visual storytelling, I feel like TV is the ultimate format at the moment. I think everyone's spoken about this, but I mean, we watched that love TV show on Netflix and I just felt that there's no way that you could do that. It would just be an ordinary rom-com on... Like, it would be more like a comedy if it was a film, but this was like really, really... It was like comedy, drama... Uh, romance, like all in one, yeah, and in different stages during each season. It's yeah, really, we start, really we've started to see like the these Netflix style of shows start appearing on television. Like, if you watch, you know, any recently released show, they've got these really long, in depth opening sequences and you know, title sequences to the show. Like, The Good Fight's got a minute and a half of <laughs> title sequences. And that's only because of Netflix, right? It's yeah. because of the Netflix style of these really long intro intros that all of these shows are suddenly doing that. Yeah, I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, evening routine, what does that look like? I, I actually work uh, quite late into the night. So, okay. if I, I will sometimes be working at 11 or 12 midnight. Um, so, it depends on what I've got on. But yeah, usually I, I work better in the evenings. In the afternoon, in the evening. So okay. I will often skew my work day to fit that. To that, yeah. Okay. I'm not a morning person, but I am a night owl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you journal or meditate or anything like that? Not really. Okay. No, I've never been someone to journal. No. <laughs> um, best pur- purchases or, or something that's had the most imp- positive impact under two hundred dollars. Oh, under two hundred dollars. Oh, that's such a hard question. Um, well, my microphone was under two hundred dollars. Okay. So my podcasting microphone. So that that has had a massive impact on me in the past year, and has led to all the success that we've seen with Moonshot, and we're now an award-winning show. So what's the microphone? It is a Rode Procaster. Okay. Yes, that's yeah. right. You recorded me with that. I should know that. 
Uh, What's been the most influential book on your life? Oh, see, I'm really bad with remembering names of things, <laughs> right? So I'm I'm terrible when people people are like, "Oh, what movie was this actor in?" Or have you seen this movie? And I'm like, "No." And then my wife will say, uh, "Yes, you did. You watched it with me." Like at this time, I'm like, "I don't know what uh, what you're talking about." But uh, books, or oh, I reckon actually the Walter Isaacson Steve Jobs. <laughs> book was fascinating. It was a brilliant book. It was such a brilliant book. It's so well researched and it just gives you a fascinating in-depth look at Steve Jobs. Yeah. it's uh, He was a very tormented man, it seems. Yeah. Uh, fascinating and, and guy. And Walter Isaacson, that, like, that's his style. Like, he's got a bunch of other books. I've got most of them sitting on my shelf and Steve Jobs is the only one that I've actually read. I've started really? reading the other ones. Uh, but You didn't fr- didn't finish Benjamin Franklin? No, I think I started it and then yeah. I just it's not that I it's not that I don't want to finish it. It's just that I'm not usually someone that spends a lot of time sitting down and reading a book now. I have done in the past, but these days I tend to engage more with with multimedia. Yeah, I got to say like I mean, I love Walter Isaacson as a biography. I think he's probably one of the best biographers, but totally. I even I struggled a bit with um with Einstein's book, I skipped through a lot of it. Um, the, I remember I skipped like through the middle section of um, Benjamin Franklin. Mm. And even with Da Vinci's book now, I'm sort of like waxing and waning between putting it down and moving on. Like I read for close to an hour every night. I love it. But um, you sort of start to realize that it's really based on the individual, isn't it? Like I, I realize I'm not that fascinated by Da Vinci's artwork. I'm more fascinated yeah. by his methodology behind thinking. Mm. So, mm. yeah, like usually the problem I have with a book like that because they're so thick is I end up reading a chapter or two and then getting distracted and doing something else. And then by the time I come back to it, I can't remember what happened in the first two chapters. So, I need to reread those two chapters. So, I never end up more than a couple of chapters into the book. God. Um, when you think of success, who or what first comes to mind? I want to say, I want to say like Gary Vaynerchuk. I like I'm I'm fascinated by Gary Vaynerchuk just because of the way that he's he's built this persona around himself a, around how like he's always going to win and there there are some things that I don't like about about his personality um but I think he's a a fascinating person I think he would be he he would just be so much energy like it would be hard to be his friend because you would always be feeling like you just it's impossible to keep up with him yeah. and i know that he loves that and he loves be have, being that way um but i think he is a very empathetic person and really interested in other people and yeah like i i i think he's a fascinating person. I, I love Gary Vaynerchuk when it comes to just understanding that that whole marketing game and drive. And I think he's so the best. I. If you were to focus on one self improvement, or maybe one or two self improvement types, would be him and Tim Ferriss. Yeah, uh, because I, they're I genuine practitioners. Yeah. yeah, they're genuine practitioners in what they do, and they're not like some person who's created a persona around themselves. They've actually got businesses and mm. information behind them that is real, as opposed to just a facade. Yeah, and I, like I was lucky enough to interview Kevin Rose, who is good friends with Tim Ferriss. Yeah, and like he he was such a fascinating person as well. Like I've I he was on the cover of Wired, etc. When he founded Dig, and it's interesting to talk to Kevin because he's not necessarily someone that has seen the like the same level of success as 
other founders, right? Like he had the hot social network, like Dig was the hot social network and then it failed, right? Like, and so it's interesting to talk to him and like see his different perspective and like by all measures, he is very successful. Yeah. But, you know, Dig was there before Facebook and Facebook got a bunch of things from what Dig had done. Yeah. Yeah, I think I remember him speaking about the fact that outside investors came in and they sort of uh, ruined what they were doing. They were changing certain aspects so it became more like Yahoo as opposed to more like Facebook. Yeah, or like, like it, Reddit. It, it died when they redesigned it. and That's right. Yeah. yeah. And like Reddit has really flourished in that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, fucking, I love Reddit. I yeah. think it's, for me right now, the two best platforms are Reddit, number one, and number two would be between Instagram or Twitter, depending on what I want to do. Hmm. Um, but I find Instagram stories very fascinating. Yeah. Um, Twitter, I don't know. It's a bit hit and miss, but I do sure. I do like it for news. Sure. Um, last question for you. Okay. If you could have a billboard anywhere in Australia, Ooh. where would it be? And then what would it say? Oh, uh, I, I actually have thought about this. Okay. I've thought about this before and it, it has changed it has changed uh based on you know like where people are located I I actually don't know where I would have it now I feel like it would be probably in the center of Sydney or, or something but it yeah there's like there's a couple of couple of people that have you know at various times when I've encountered them you know they've really like challenged me over whether I was doing, you know, whether my approach was the right approach or something. And I would love to have a billboard that was like right out the front of their office and just so that they couldn't help but look at my face every day. <laughs> just That's to so see good. like I, I I knew that this thing was gonna work out and you know, it did. Here's it, to you. <laughs> it didn't it didn't need to have anything written on the billboard. Just the fact that it was there. So that I knew that they were thinking about me. And thinking that, okay, well, he, he obviously proved me wrong. That's hilarious. Yeah. Look, um, any last requests or parting words for our audience at all? Yeah, sure. Like, if if your audience is really interested in checking out Moonshot, uh, head across to Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or whichever app you use. Subscribe to Moonshot. You can't miss it. It's got an awesome logo. Um, and, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, and I, I definitely second that. I've been on the podcast. I've listened to a few other episodes. Um, I think the space one is fascinating. Um, I think people should definitely go have a listen to it. Uh, what I- What are the handles on social media and the like? Yep, so we're Moonshot Pod on any of the social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Moonshot Pod. And uh, our website is moonshot.audio. Yeah, and just for anyone listening, we'll obviously link that in the show notes as well but look chris thank you so much we've wow we've hit an hour and 45 minutes wow it's been fun (laughs) um thank you so much it's a real pleasure and uh yeah thanks for joining us no worries cheers thank you for making it this far before you run off we have a quick ask for you subscribe on your podcast app subscribing will give you priority access and help your fellow-minded listeners find uncommon Or you could also share with a friend. This will go a long way in building our audience, which will help us both get further guests on the show. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube by searching Neural, which is N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E. 
But until next time, thanks for listening.